Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is sponsored by Freedom Mortgage, dedicated to veterans and your homeownership needs. Visit freedommortgage.com forward slash CBS Vets, NMLS 2767, Equal Housing Lender. Eric Dame, host of The Morning Briefing. Good day to you, sir. A good day to you. <laughs> Quite a year we've had at Connecting Vets. And yeah. uh, I like talking to you every day after your show because uh, occasionally you pull out an interesting guest. Most of the time it's just you and I don't. I kind of tune out. But um. <laughs> One, that's not true. I have interesting guests on every day of the week. It's never me by myself. Even when I am doing the first segment by myself, Jake Hughes is in there with me. <laughs> To even that out. So you shut your lying mouth, Phil Briggs. It's good. It's good. I'm streaming it at ConnectingVets.com each and every morning. And uh, the cool thing that you've done over the last year is you've brought to us a couple people that all vets kind of know of and a few people that vets know nothing about. And I I, want to say I picked kind of three categories for you to tell me about your favorite interviews. Go ahead and hit me up with a few of those. One of those ended up being the most emotional and Mm -hmm. I would say sincere interview that I had. And that was with uh, the Cornine family. Alexis Cornine is a Coast Guard veteran who suffered a traumatic brain injury. And this happened before September 11th, 2001. Here's why that's important. Because she was injured before September 11th, 2001, she and her husband are not eligible for the same level and type of care that she would have been had the injury happened after September 11th. Doesn't matter that it didn't happen in theater. It wasn't in Afghanistan or Iraq. It happened at a Coast Guard station in CONUS within the United States. That doesn't matter either. Had it happened after September 11th and she'd been injured in the exact same way in the exact same place, she would have been eligible for this this higher level and more extended care. Both she and her caregiver, which is her husband, that story and hearing that fact, uh, it upset me. I'm a dad now. I started thinking about the fact, like, what if something had happened to me? You know, what, what would what would happen to my son? He wouldn't be taken care of as well if I had happened to have gotten hurt prior to September 11th, 2001. And my mom or dad or whoever is going to have to take care of me. They wouldn't be eligible for the same type and amount of funding and care to help me. Uh, that did not sit right with me. And it was uh, it was a bit unsettling to learn that. Which is why I think it was one of the most powerful moments that we had on the morning briefing. So um, with no further ado, let's go to some of that interview. Sure. Alexis, actually, um, she was injured active duty while we were not together. We were together before before, and then again after her service. So I had the privilege of knowing her before and knowing uh, what an intense individual that she is. (laughs) Um, And when we got back together, she was very frank with me about what had happened and that the rest of her life would not look like what we thought it would. And that I wasn't coming back to the same girl that I knew before, but that was okay. I, I mean, I I knew what's in I know what's in there, 
Right. And I know, and I know her personality would would shine through, and we and we would get through it. But t- to your point, um, the first the first ten years, we started this journey together, uh, 2000, 2001, um, when she entered into the VA healthcare system after her discharge. I, I was a 23 year old kid without a military background, mm. with no knowledge of the VA, and no medical training. My background is in construction. I, I know nothing about about doctor stuff. Right. Um, so for me and for us, it was very lonely. It was very frustrating, very isolating. We had no case management. We had no real care coordination. Women's veteran services in the VA healthcare system are nowhere near, we're nowhere near then like they are now. Um, so I think we have sort of a unique perspective in that respect. I think we spent 10 years probably mm. very frustrated, very isolated where I was trying to learn that it was okay to speak up to the doctors. It was okay to um, try to find some help. It took right. me a long time to even identify as a caregiver. Um, and again, that's that's down the list of how I view our relationship. Right. You know what I mean? Caregiver, her caregiver is not the first way I describe myself. Right. But it is a role that I've taken on, and it is a role that our children um, are, are growing into and that they take on. He is every piece of my my brokenness he is who schedules my appointments he is who picks me up when i'm down he is every piece of my emptiness he completes my sentences when i have no words he is the damaged pieces of my eye he is every piece of me that I am not um I would not I can't be in my home um cooking because I can't smell something burning I have flooded my home um mm. because I can't I leave water on um I if I can't live independently so without him I would be in an institution and therefore I wouldn't see my kids being raised so without him um my life would look entirely different and to be quite honest with you i'm not certain that i would last in an institution so quality of life um it's you you can't even put those that into words um i have a quality of life that is unmatched because of him and i i can't even imagine a world without him and we don't have a backup family um we don't have support outside of an amazing core group of friends that could replace him um we have an amazing friend support that are watching our girls so we could be here right now um but without him i would be in an institution at this point and and that that to me is not an option and that is true for a lot of other veterans in in our situation and that's not a quality of life that should be for anybody i 100 percent agree with you and it's uh clear that you guys are part of a team uh team cornine and wow i'm getting emotional sitting here so jason when you know that without you in the last eight years or so from the outside looking in we've seen the post 9-11 comprehensive caregiver program and how it supports families that have go- are now going through the things that we've gone through 
It also brings to light the fact that if I wasn't here for Alexis, if someone else were to have to fill my role, she's still a pre-9-11 caregiver. Whoever tries to take over where I left off, God forbid, would have to go through that same, those same feelings, that same frustration that I did. And when we have a program in place that we know works for all eras, um, especially right now, we've spent a lot of time the last few days with a Vietnam era couple Mm. and she's aging. She's getting to a point where 35 years of pushing a couple hundred pounds around in a wheelchair is taking a physical toll on her, an emotional toll on her. And there's no support for her either. What happens to, to that gentleman when his wife is no longer able to physically care for him? There is no, the supports are there. We know that they work. We need to take them and open that up to all eras so that uh, all of our heroes can be taken care of. There is no other option uh, to do this but to do it together. They are my, my healthcare team and uh, we are Team Cornine, pure and simple. Okay, from powerfully emotional stories and interviews that you've done on the morning briefing, um, we go to other really cool, I want to put this in kind of a, the badass category, but mm. tell me about the next favorite interview that you had. You know, you asked about the coolest, and I thought, I, that's hard to say, man, because I've had Rob Jones' journey on the show yeah. several times. You know, Rob Jones, for those who don't know, double amputee Marine, 31 marathons in 31 days. Shane Crutchton, Purple Heart recipient, Marine, is a professional MMA fighter now who has right. the 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 names of his 19 fallen brothers in arms tattooed on his back but only one of them when he sat down did i not know what was going on that was dan crenshaw dan is a medically retired navy seal uh, he was injured in an ied blast in afghanistan that injury claimed his right eye and they thought was going to take the sight from his left eye it's an amazing story but when you talk about cool people, when someone walks in and sits down across the, the console from you in right. a radio studio, that's always better than having them on the phone. You're able to interact better, and you can tell what they're going to do. When Dan sat down, I looked at him and thought, what is going on here, man? There's something I don't, right. what is that? It was his eye, his right eye. And I'd seen pictures of Dan, publicity photos. He always had an eye patch on. I knew that he'd lost his right eye. Sure. And I thought, is, is that what's left of his eye is it just black with like a speck of is that white or gold or turns out dan crenshaw's glass eye that he was wearing that day has the seal trident inside of it well let's roll a little tape of that interview because uh, we not only got him talking about that we got him talking about some of his thoughts on public policy and right because he he's running for congress about now how houston. he would approach you know his latest congressional race down in houston texas and uh just a fascinating guy but you're right the eye that's why we called the podcast eye of the trident oh that's horrible phil oh that's <laughs> i didn't know that i'm leaving six months in uh we were we spent one day in helmand province <laughs> Ah, down with we, the Marine yeah, Corps down there. Right. Yeah, yeah we were we were uh, supporting Marine operation uh, in in Helmand. We were normally based out of Kandahar. Okay. We had operated all over the province uh, for the, you know the past six months, and um, supporting some Marines in in Helmand. They'd already taken some casualties. One Marine was paralyzed. Uh, one shot through the neck. Both alive. One of our Afghan interpreters. 
uh, stepped on a pressure plate right in front of me. Mm. And uh, I took the brunt of that blast. Kind of feels like you're getting hit with a truck, but uh, you know, while simultaneously getting shot with shotguns. That's how, that's how I generally describe that, that feeling. And, you know, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners uh, probably understand that. And uh, I was blinded immediately. Uh, my body was shredded. Uh, you know, I, I, there was a moment of self-deception, to be sure. I, I didn't really know that I was blind. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see, but you just sort of assume everything's okay. Um, and, and I think maybe that you're just falling back on training at that point. Just be calm because you don't want to uh, have your buddies panic. You know, they need to do other things. They need to continue the mission. Oh, yeah. They can't be taking care of just you. And um, we're all a team in that sense. And... Um, but, but again, I think it was more self-deception than anything else. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. I think there's just dirt in my eyes. <laughs> like, and, and I truly thought that because, you know, there, there was a lot of pain, but it was, wasn't necessarily in my eyes. It was, it was a very strange sensation. I was able to get up and, um, and make it to the medevac helo when it did show up and, and got out of there. Uh, I think they saw my situation differently than, than, my own, <laughs> than my own perception of what was going on because they put me out immediately. And I woke up, you know, maybe five or six days later, right. uh, a few surgeries later. Um, I was in worse shape than maybe we had thought originally. Um, I woke up in Germany after a medically induced coma, still blind, of course, and uh, hallucinating constantly. Um, you know, I, I don't, it's a, it's a very, not very well known uh, symptom of, of going blind immediately. Mm-hmm. is those the sort of hallucinations. It's almost like phantom pain. Oh, wow. The way, way an amputee would feel phantom pain. Right, uh, right. A similar thing happens with vision. Uh, at least for me, it did. And it was, it was an interesting experience, <laughs> uh, a little bit terrifying. And, and it just went on for days and days and days. Um, and you, and you, would, you would see, I think, the last situation that you were in. And that was Afghanistan. So I, and I would know it wasn't real. But that's what I saw all the time. And, and, you know, some good friends of mine came up to Germany and Landstuhl and, and stayed with me. And I would know that they were there talking to me. But I would see, I would see maybe, you know, one of the many Afghan villagers that we, that we were, uh, you know, engaging with that day or the days before. I would see villages because you know, that's just the last thing I saw. And, um, you know, you'd wake up from dreams and you'd know you were woken up and you'd know where you were, but you were still seeing the dream. Wow. Um, you know, so you're, you're literally living in a nightmare. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Um, Boy. And the doctors were not very optimistic that I would see again. My right eye was gone immediately. Um, and my left eye was, you know, on the edge. We're not, we're not sure about it. They didn't want to touch it until we had the specialists see it in Bethesda. So, you know, after a couple of days in Landstuhl's, finally got me back here to Bethesda. Then we talked about surgery. And uh, it was it was a big risk, and well, I wouldn't say risk at that point because everything was already lost. But it was uh, it was uh, there wasn't a whole lot of hope. You know, yeah. they were like, maybe you'll see some light and shapes. Like that's what we're hoping for. Um, we got to remove the cataract that was that was caused by you know hot metal kind of searing through your eye, and they did. They they got the cataract out. Uh, it was unclear, you know, how much I would recover after that, but I could see a little bit, uh, you know, with very thick glasses on. Um, it, it, and for those 
for those in the audience who have had cataract surgery, it's a fairly routine operation. You just remove the cataract, you put a new lens in there. You can't do that with mine because right. it was so damaged by the blast. And, uh, but I recovered more and more and it was looking optimistic. And, and then the doctor said, well, now we found a hole in your retina. And when <laughs> you, and, and when you <laughs> surprise, <laughs> and they're like, here's the good news. Uh, you'll probably see a little bit longer. Wow. <laughs> and then eventually that hole will expand because that's just what happens with the macular hole. Right, right. It expands slowly. That's just the nature uh, of, of the way your retina is built. And they can stop that by removing a membrane on the back of your retina because that membrane causes tension, which causes that hole to expand. And the way the doctors put it, I don't remember any of this, by the way, because I was, I mean, I was in a different state. Oh, and yeah. my wife re retells the story to me in my conversation with doctors and they were basically like, we suggest you just go blind, blind slowly so that you can see for a little bit longer. And, and by the way, you know, I, I put C in quotation marks cause I really couldn't see that well. Um, and then, and then their other option is we do the surgery again. It's actually very routine surgery. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're in your fifties or sixties, very routine surgery, you get a macular hole, you just fix it. Um, but for me, very dangerous cause my eye was so, uh, uh, unstable. And, uh, they're like, we suggest you just go blind slowly. We could do the surgery now and you'll probably go blind immediately. So, you know, choose your options. I'm like, well, obviously do the surgery. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, it wasn't even an option for me. I mean, I, oh, I'm man. like, that's, that's, that's a terrible idea. Just do the surgery. I'll be fine. You guys, you guys think I can't heal. I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they did. And I was right. It worked, it worked out okay. You know, and I, that's a, that's a combination I think of a lot of things. It's, you know, it's faith, it's belief that you will be okay. And I think that truly matters um, when, when you're faced with these kind of situations. You have to have faith. You have to pray and, and believe and know that it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. Be okay. Yeah, right? Now, more than just a heroic war story, a tale of bravery and valor, what was cool about talking to Dan Crenshaw was his look forward. And how he is unapologetically now becoming a lion for the conservative movement. And we're not going to apologize for the fact that, that we believe in God and we like to have our guns. You know, we don't, we, right. that doesn't make us bad people. I mean, say what you want about divisive politics. Dan's grasp on foreign policy and defense is way more than just a list of talking points. You know... It takes years of classified briefings and experience to really understand the Department of Defense, the intelligence community, and, and what is needed, what is not needed, how to assess programs in the right way, and, and, and really make a difference. Um, it's not just North Korea, there's a lot of other issues. Uh, you know, in the next eight to 10 years, we have the Iran nuclear deal beginning to expire. And what happened to our leverage that we had before? Well, it's gone. And we're not talking about these things. We're not talking about smart whole of government approaches to thwart these vets and to, you know, to, to, to combat Iranian influence in that region. Do you even know what whole of government approaches mean? Like, do you know how to integrate the intelligence community with special operations, with conventional forces, with the State Department into a very powerful machine? And is of, that of the essence policy? of whole of government approaches? That's how I would describe it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's not something we do enough of. Um, again, we need people who have been there and done that, who've worked these issues like I have. While we're there, wall, no wall. Um, what's your stance on the wall? Yeah, well, yeah, listen, border security. You know, it, this used to be a bipartisan issue, or agreement, right? That right. we that we had. We need to secure the border, whether it's a wall where that makes sense, 
or, or more more drone surveillance, more sensors, more people. Give <laughs> give these guys what they need to secure the border. Let's do it. We, we it, we're done talking about it. Right. And I'm glad we have a president who is willing to say it. And he's been demonized for it. Right. Why? You know, it, we're, this is we are a nation. It's okay to have borders. Every other nation has it as right. well. Do you think sometimes we get too tripped up, too caught up in arguing over the small, how do I say this? The small bull****. Of course. <laughs> you know, do, do I need to expand on that? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, we do it a lot. Um, but these are still important conversations, you know, okay. and, and we attack each other all the time, don't we? And maybe that's what you're getting at. You know, we, let's, let's assume, let's just try to assume that we all have the best interests of the country in mind. Um, you know, as a conservative, a, a very conservative. Yeah. Yeah, I like I, I'm tired of being demonized by the left. And we're not going to apologize for the fact that that we believe in God and we like to have our guns. You know, we, we right. that doesn't make us bad people. And if you got to know us, we're not bad people. We're great people. And it, I think it's time that everybody put their swords away and maybe understood yep. that we're all Americans and we love America. And it's okay to talk about patriotism and just love of this country. All right, and from a former SEAL, we go to a funny man that's a former Marine, and this interview I actually had the pleasure of sitting in with you on. Um, talk to me about one of the funniest interviews that you got a chance to do this year. He's a name that some veterans might not know off the top of their head, but I guarantee you we all know his work. He's the founder, creator, owner of Duffel Blog the number one military satire and humor site on the internet. And it's really not even close. Who's number two? Name the number two funny military site out there. I, you know, I couldn't. I, no. I, I mean, I, I can name know. people like Terminal Lands from uh, Max Uriarte. Funny stuff out there as well. But Duffelblog, not only is it funny, it's become this touchstone for the veteran and military community, much like The Onion did for you know satire within the news industry, satirizing newspapers and the media. He's satirized uh, the military life through these media posts, which become, in some people's eyes, so close to the truth that they need to share them out angrily. Look at what the Navy's doing this time. Right, and right. Some of them actually retweet it and re you know share it, thinking it's real news. Oh, and, thinking uh, it's real news. That is the funniest when I get one that's like, see, see how much they're spending on transgenders. <laughs> see how much the transgender spending is this year. Even the F twenty two is mad, and you're like, nobody interviewed an airplane, dude. That, and that's the, just a clever headline. The the other side where people share it out intentionally to people who they think might think it's real, where they're like, oh, look at this story. Oh, to just get to a get a rise yeah, out of somebody. Just to get a rise. They out do of that, but you yeah. know, I took a lot of great things from this interview with Paul. All right, well, let's play a little bit of that interview with the founder of Duffelblog, Paul Zoldra. So I think it's funny, obviously. Like, I think <laughs> it's really funny if, if people are sharing an article on Duffelblog, or from Duffelblog and then, you know, they're getting upset by it. Like, my first reaction is like, this is hilarious. Like, what is, <laughs> why would you actually think this is <laughs> true, you know? We had one in the uh, one in the past. Um, it was, I had a, a, a one, a guy tweet at me. This is uh, quite a while ago, but we had an article where it was basically uh, the DOD is banning tap out gear, tap out shirts <laughs> right, right. Uh, for military personnel because of OPSEC. <laughs> and uh, this is super funny. It's a very funny article. And anyway, I got a tweet back that said number of uh, number of people calling my office asking about tap out <laughs> <laughs> tap out man one too many. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
Now, while Duffel Blog is on it every single day, satirizing everything they can, this year we had one story that was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to say these three words, Navy Sky Penis. When you first saw this story, and of course the the picture, which was associated with it, you know, you mm -hmm. can't miss it. There it is. Phallus. Big as life. Just hanging in the sky, you know. Oh my god. Uh, did it bother you? I mean, you're a girl. I mean, did uh, I mean did seeing that Well, like here's the thing that has always puzzled me about men is like you don't see me going around drawing vaginas and stuff. <laughs> that's that that's You true. know? I, I like I I understand culturally that are funny, but I don't totally understand the compulsion to draw them on everything. Uh and I think this is like <laughs> Just like a manifestation of that. Uh, but also my, my first thought when I saw that was one, that's incredibly symmetrical. Like that, but, he did a great job. Yeah. Artistic, <laughs> it's really clean. <laughs> artistically speaking, to be able to like, and and to put it in like another kind of context, I can't jot down a phone number on a piece of paper while doing 20 miles an hour <laughs> on the highway. I mean, can you imagine having the, the wherewithal to be going like what, 500 plus miles an hour and keep it as symmetrical? The lines is straight. Perfect. It's perfect. And even like the little, like the figure eight from the nutsack is like yeah. perfectly proportioned. It's like, it's weird. It's weird how, how good this particular drawing is. And uh, <laughs> also my, my, my other thought was like, that man, I don't know what he's working with, but it's probably not impressive. Oh, <laughs> Do you mean to feel compelled to have to sky write yes. a penis a quarter mile in size means he's compensating for his, uh Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, like uh, Ron Jeremy's not doing that. You know what I mean? Like he's <laughs> he's not taken to the skies to, to telegraph how enormous his member is to the rest of the world. So I'm just saying. I think it was a statement about his particular <laughs> member. Maybe he's just fond of them. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I don't know that he was trying to say it was his per se. Look, I'm going to stick up for the guy any chance I get because when I get somebody in here that's calling me out is. You know, in the six months that the show has been on the air, I feel like we've done uh, at least a year's worth of telling awesome stories. We've talked to hundreds of veterans, military spouses, gold star families, VSOs come in every day. And I think every day we at least put on a very good show. Sometimes it verges into greatness. And I mean that in the, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, listen, I don't mean that in the, uh, like, oh, you're, me you're and Jake are so let, great. You're supposed to let somebody else tell you how great you are. Yeah, I, mean, I ain't got know. time for that. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the stories that the veterans who come on our show no, are true, telling. true. That's the greatness. When you talk to people like Paul Zoldrin, Dan Crenshaw, the Cornines, Don Shipley, Rob Jones, Shane Crutchton, Ken Falk of Boulder Crest Retreat, one of the very first guests that we had on the show live in studio, uh, Congressman Don Bacon. I could just keep going on and on, uh, but you know what? That's the past, Phil, and we are now looking at the future in 2018. It's gonna yeah, be who's, another... your, who's your big get that you want to get for 2018? I'm if looking you have at a, a few. I've got um, uh, former President and General Dwight D. Eisenhower trying to get him to come on the show. <laughs> um, I've reached out to his people on Twitter, and they're, they're just not that responsive. Um, he's a big one, but you know what? The big person that I'm going to try to get, and I think we're going to be able to make this happen. And that is secretary Shulkin, secretary of the VA. I want right. to have 
a 25-minute sit-down with him and talk about the good that's going on over at the VA, the bad that's going on over at the VA, and use right. that time to you know really get to know him a little better and allow him to give his point of view on you know the the praise that people have for him in the VA and the problems that people have for him in the VA. But yes, and should you make that happen, I'm going to slide you a little note with uh, some questions about cannabis and PTSD. You can ask those for me. Uh, I'm going to also support and try to say that for the team, let's dream big. Yeah. Look, we're in the same city as this guy. Every single day, we produce our show from Washington, D.C. Yeah, who are you talking about? Right up the street. Yeah. Pennsylvania Avenue. The guy who sells the pretzels over there? No, no, I would love to get Sal in here to uh, talk about pretzel sales. No, I don't know if he was military. Why not not dream big? I am trying to get President Trump. Oh, that'd be very cool. Trying to get the nation's commander-in-chief... To give us five minutes. Look, I don't know if we could even get it. I want 25. I want him sitting down in there with me for 25 minutes. That's what I want. But would you just, you know, would you just pass a brick if, like, they actually said, okay, he'll be here Tuesday, 11 o'clock, you know? Secret Service comes in and sweeps the building, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I I would They asked me to leave because of my questionable record, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when I look at those interviews and I look at the people that we talk to, I, I think it's something that a lot of veterans can relate to that there are very few people who I get nervous around. Right, I mean, right. It's part of my job to not be nervous because if you're nervous, you're not going to be able to do a good interview. Um, yeah, Commander in Chief, I mean, that's that's very cool, but I would love to sit down and talk because there's a lot of important veteran-related stuff. And you know what? When it comes to uh, what the administration has done, the one thing that people seem to agree more on than anything else because they don't seem to agree on much of anything in Washington D.C. these days. True, are the uh, you know some of the military initiatives that have happened, and you know he's been given credit by some people for those things. He's right. been not given any credit and said like, "Oh, that wasn't him. That was the other." I'd like to find out what he thinks about that right? and find out what his plans are for the military going forward. You know? Well, and you know the military and veterans are 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 most always a bipartisan issue where there shouldn't be any disagreement mm. and really rarely is among right. taking care of our own. And that's why we tell the stories we tell. Uh, that's why I want to bring him to our table here and see if we can actually yeah. get a sitting president to sit down with us. And uh, that's my big goal for our show, for our shows. And frankly, really, it's my goal for my podcast because I need more people to listen to the yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll wrap this up and say that, uh, you know, we are dedicated in 2018 to bringing you great stuff. We are going to have incredible stories. And if we've learned anything from 2017, we can promise you this. Zero people in this workplace will be sexually harassed. What a horrible ending to I don't know. The way you've been looking at me lately. <laughs> I promise, Eric. I, at Connecting Bats will... on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's end it there before this gets you in trouble, Phil. <laughs> Have a great year, buddy. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.